This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. On individual level, we certainly should work together and be able to talk whether we agree or not. This agreement is healthy. It's part of our system. It's part of, of, of our intellectuality as, as, uh, as people in this, in this great country. Welcome to Politics is Everything, a podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara ong And I'm Rishi Prabhakar, a first-year, planning on majoring in foreign affairs, and I'm an intern at the Center for Politics. In this episode, we speak with the Honorable Dr. David Ramadan, who served in the Virginia House of Delegates from 2012 to 2016. Enjoy our conversation. David Ramadan, thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you, Dr. Ong. I wonder if you can start by sharing what led you to public service. And given that we have a number of students who listen to this podcast, I wonder what advice you would have, especially for young people who are interested in running for office and serving. Absolutely. So I'm an immigrant. I um, I immigrated. I was born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon. I immigrated at the age of 19 with uh, $2,000 in my pocket and a dream. And only in this great country can a first-generation immigrant uh, come in, be with you on the show today. I had the, um, the, the, the privilege and honor of uh, getting three degrees. I you know, went to George Mason, did my undergrad in Mason, did my grad in Mason. I uh, hold a doctorate degree from uh, Vanderbilt. Um, I had the highest privilege and honor of running for office and serving in Jefferson's house um, only in this great country one can do so. I, so I saw running for office as my service to this great country. Uh, I did not have the privilege of wearing the uniform. Um, so to me, serving the Commonwealth that gave me all the opportunities in the world, gave my family a home to immigrate to, um, was uh, was a way of paying back what the country had given us and what the Commonwealth had given us. And that was really the motivation behind uh, running and serving for two terms in the General Assembly. So your district, the 87th House of Delegates District, was, in your words, one of the most democratic districts held by a Republican in the entire Commonwealth. Can you speak to your experience serving the district and how you were able to maintain your seat for consecutive terms? Yes, absolutely. It was uh, one of the um, um, highest democratic district when I ran in 2011, remains to be one of the highest democratic districts in the General Assembly today. It was about 60% plus then. It's about probably 70% plus now uh, democratic. Um, it was kitchen table issues. It was um, it was grassroots uh uh, activities. It was being available to my constituents at all times. We had a very high level of communications um, that my team and I did uh, running and then while serving. For example, when I was in General Assembly for during session for the two months that I'm there, um, on Friday nights at the end of a long week, we spent about... Um, and we, meaning truly we, a, a team of three that sat down and uh, spent about probably three to four hours writing a very, very detailed day-to-day um, action-by-action um, -action newsletter and report. I saw that as I am reporting 
to my employer, right? And my employer was the, uh, the, the voters of my district. So every Friday night would write a full report on what were my activities, what did I do, what did I vote on, full transparency on voting. Um, at that time, there was a um, um, the, the General Assembly system reported votes on bills that made the uh, full floor, that made the full House floor. Uh, subcommittee votes and uh, committee votes were not all recorded. Uh, so I made clear that on everything I voted on, I reported it. Um, so in all of that service was um, all of that transparency, all of that communications. And then after session for the 10 months that I'm in the district, um, I had a district office with doors open where people could come in all the time. Um, I would show up to every event in the district, um, invited or not. Um, I would uh, show up to, uh, yeah, I crashed weddings. Um, there, I literally crashed an Indian American wedding, and uh, they loved it. And of course, as 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 uh, you know, immigrant communities welcome people at weddings. You don't have to be invited. So I, I remember clearly crashing one with Barbara Comstock at the time. Um, who is also a, a fellow scholar at uh, at UVA, and Barbara and I were out campaigning, and we we heard of a wedding happening. We crashed it, and we went and spent uh, uh, spent few hours with with uh, the folks uh, at that wedding, and they loved it. Um, I intentionally visited and worshipped with every house of worship in my district um, throughout the year. So um, it didn't matter if it was a mosque, a, a church, a synagogue, a gurdwara, a temple. Um, I visited and worshipped with uh, anyone and everyone that allowed me to join them in worship and and, uh, and visit with them. So that extensive um which I don't call outreach. I actually, for years, have been calling it engagement versus outreach. Um, was essential for me to win the, the my campaigns and essential for me to continue uh, to be effective working with my constituency. Um, that engagement came very important with the immigrant community. The district had about thirty to thirty-five percent immigrants most of which or most of whom were um, Indian Americans, South Asians, and mostly Indian Americans, um, a community that have never been engaged before. Um, no previous politician in this area had tried. Um, so engaging the Indian American community was huge. I won with their support. They tend to not vote on local elections. They only vote on presidential or in presidential elections and not by a high rate. Indian American community came out, voted for me, supported me, held campaigns for me. Um, and and that was, uh, that was very important for my campaigns. And then to be able to um, serve them and serve them right and, and deal with their issues without any high partisanship. I believed what I believed. Um, there were certainly um, uh, major conservative issues that I believed in, but I did not wear those on my sleeve. Those were my beliefs. Um, when I was running and when I was elected, I went to represent my district, not to necessarily do what I wanted to do. 
Now, that doesn't mean that I voted against my beliefs. There were some things that I voted my conscience on, and that should be uh, what every elected official should do. However, um, it sh those votes should be only when um, it's an issue that you really cannot compromise your beliefs on. Uh, those are very rare. Uh, those are 1% or 2%. 98% you should work with your district's best interests are. That's the job of an elected official. Dr. Ramadan, you just made such an important point about representation and the importance of representing a district even above party interest. In a recent survey by the Pew Research Center, slightly more than half of U.S. adults, 55%, say the Democratic Party is too extreme in its positions. And a somewhat larger share, about 61%, say the same about the Republican Party. Uh, we also know that partisans overwhelmingly offer criticism criticisms of the other party while evaluating their own uh, party in generally positive terms. What do you see as ways to reduce extremism in both parties and to also bridge the divides between them? Uh, very important and very tough issue to deal with in today's politics. Um, I'll take a little bit of an issue first with the framing from Pure Research. It's not the parties that became extreme. It's a certain segment of the party that became extreme and then took over the party. And, and it's perception. Perception is a reality for sure. We know that. Um, they are correct in having a higher percentage on the Republican side than there are on the Democratic side. Uh, however, those 15, 20% on each side uh, that are dominating the conversations, and especially dominating inter-party elections, such as primaries, is what's causing, um, what's causing this split. How do we deal with that? Um, very tough, and I'm not sure we can. Um, at least we cannot on party level. We can on people level. Uh, we need to continue to bridge come bridge the 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 divide or between people we need to be able to find common ground and things that both can compromise on um, um, but the parties I am not that optimistic about especially that we're seeing continuing continuous flip in elections so it's hard to argue with any constituency especially a, a far um, right or far left constituency that your efforts are are not fruitful when they're winning elections, right? It's, it's going to be very hard to argue with Republicans um, on the far right um, in November after Republicans, as anticipated, gained back control over Congress, right, or over the House and Congress, um, and, and vice versa on the other side. As long as this election keeps flipping back and forth, uh, or the elections in plural keep flipping back and forth, um, it's going to be very hard to get them to start changing. On the contrary, they may go more and more to the extreme. Once parties start continuously losing elections, and this cycle is going to have to get there, uh, once they start continuously losing elections, then there's an argument to, to political parties that your extremism is not working. Look, you're, you know, you're losing. But when they win, um, then extremism is working. And, and it's not good for the country, uh, 
It's not good for um, the future existence of that party or the effectiveness of that party. However, it's very hard in the short term to be able to argue against that or try to bridge that divide on party level. Dr. Ramadan, we are recording this conversation with just about two weeks until the final day to vote in the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, with Republican candidates in some of Virginia's most competitive congressional races are immigrants, including Yesley Vega, whose parents immigrated from El Salvador and who's running against Congresswoman Abigail Spamberger. Um, and then Hung, Hung Kea, an immigrant from Vietnam, running against Congresswoman Jennifer Wexton. They have a very different take on immigration, which is one of the issues that you care about and have worked on. I wonder if you can speak to the importance of immigrants in our society and economy, and what do you see as a path forward on immigration policy? Um, yeah, look, um, um, I constantly uh, tweet a, a short sentence, and I interchangeably use immigrants or immigration, but I say immigrants are good for America, or immigration is good for America. Um, that's not just an opinion. Those are facts. Um, immigration waves throughout our history um, has uh, rendered positive effects on American society, um, American e economy, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm an immigrant. Um, I certainly benefited from this great country, but I would also like to um, uh, believe that I have contributed. Uh, my family contributed. I have uh, four brothers that immigrated. Uh, we have uh, six nephews and, and, and nieces that live here. My mom and dad, my grandma, everybody in their way that have contributed to, to this great country um, in education, in entrepreneurship, in, uh, um, in, in, in cultural, uh, in service, um, in, in public service. Uh, we all contributed. There's a wonderful um, organization called Forward.us, uh, or forward, and they got a website that's fwd.us that constantly break down myths about uh, about immigrants and share um, some. Um, they share numbers and they share facts about immigrants. I'll I'll just read you a couple of those um, to make uh, to make the point here. Um, immigrants added two trillion dollars to the U.S. GDP in um, in 2016. That's the last when they were running these uh, these numbers, and about uh, half a billion to state and local and federal taxes in 2018. Um, in education, I don't have to tell you. Uh, look at your graduates, especially in the sciences. Um, go into your engineering department and see who are holding the highest number of PhDs. Um, uh, they're all first-generation immigrants um, or sons of, uh, right? Um, there is, uh, if, if current legal immigration levels were cut by 50%, the Social Security Fund would lose $1.5 trillion in the next 75 years. Um, imagine that, what happens at that point. Um, uh, back to immigration again. Uh, I'm sorry, back to education again. We all know that there is a huge drop in number of um, undergraduates overall. We're calling it the great drop in education uh, or students that are entering our, our higher ed uh, uh, institutions. Um, if it's not for 
immigrants that come in and end up staying and end up developing businesses, um, the um, our economy would be different. Um, most billion dollar startups were started by immigrants or son of immigrants. Um, some names that uh, we're all familiar with from Amazon to Apple to Google to Facebook, they were all started by immigrants. Um, the um, uh, so so I and we can talk about immigration f- to go on and on and on. Unfortunately, Im- immigration has become a partisan issue and has been an issue used by both parties. Today, we are seeing Republicans um, hit on immigration. Um, that's been the last twenty years. Even though immigrants tend to be mostly conservatives, and in in history, immigrants used to be mostly Republicans when they join when they when they come in and engage in politics. Um, but the last twenty years or so, the Republican Party or the extreme faction of the Republican Party that pretty much took over had become anti-immigrant in general, not just anti-illegal immigration. No, no, we're talking about anti-immigrants in general. Historically, that was the other side. Um, the 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 Democrats before that were also anti-immigrants because they didn't want the labor to come in and compete with labor unions. And I have the belief that the only reason that our immigration system continues to be broken is because both sides in Congress do not want to fix it. The, the, the far right for xenophobic purposes, they don't want to do anything about it. The far left, because they're afraid of the labor unions, they don't want to do anything about it. Um, and we continue to be in this, in this issue. Um, running as an immigrant in a particular party does not give you a clear, um, a clear gain of the immigrant vote, right? Um, anybody can gain the immigrant vote if that person is running on issues important to the immigrants that are in their district. Unfortunately, the two candidates that you ran, uh, that you mentioned, um, are running on anti-immigration, pretty much. Um, and they think they're going to get the immigrant vote. Now, they're going to get some immigrants that will vote based on, on emotional factors. However, it's, gonna, it, it's a hard sell to go to the immigrant community and say, I want your vote, but at the same time, I'm going to go to Congress. I'm going to make sure your grandma cannot get into the country. Grandma is a red line. <laughs> if, you're gonna, if you're not going to let me immigrate my grandma, you're not getting my vote. And, and that's what, what some of these candidates tend to forget or, or not realize. The, the labeling of family immigration as migrant or chain, chain immigration is a, is a negative connotation. Um, it's not chain immigration. Family immigration, family reunification is a very important element of our society and on the greatness of this country. Um, and that's what some of these um, candidates are missing. Uh, one, one, one last thing I saw recently, 43.8% of Fortune 500 companies in 2022, the, the, the ones that made it to the Fortune 500 in 2022, recent number, 43.8% of those companies were founded by immigrants or children of immigrants. What are, in your opinion, the key issues of significance in Virginia state and local politics? Oh, wow. Um, do we have two hours? <laughs> we don't. Um, so what are the key issues? Uh, look, partisanship is a problem, and we've seen it carry over. We used to, to be proud in Richmond um, back in the day 
of saying most of this partisanship is across the river in D.C. Unfortunately, we've seen it spill quite a bit across the river into Virginia. Um, both sides are not talking to each other much. Both sides are not hanging out with each other much. Uh, when I was in General Assembly, we we argued and disagreed vehemently on the floor on an issue, but afterwards would go out and have dinner and have uh, and, and hang out together. Um, you know, Terry McAuliffe and I would I would go up on the floor and and give a speech on an issue and 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 rip him a new one on something, and then afterwards go have a beer at the mansion uh, with a keg. We became good friends. We both teach at at uh, Mason together, and um, and uh, over the years we became personal family friends. Um, some of my best friends. Um, are Democrats who I served with. Um, and of course, uh, I've got plenty and lots and remain to have great friends that are on the Republican side uh, from my own party or my previous party. Um, so partisanship has become uh, a problem even on personal level. That is an issue that we should certainly deal with. We can deal with it in, within parties. I can't fix the two parties. I can't convince the RNC and the DNC to work together. But on individual level, we certainly should work together and be able to talk whether we agree or not. This agreement is healthy. It's part of our system. It's part of, of, of our intellectuality as, as, uh, as people in this, in this great country. But the education comes back to me as, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's very dear to me. I think I, I credit most of my success in America and my family's success to education. Um, we, we went to the best schools and we were able to get degrees and that helped us in getting good jobs and start good companies and, and move forward. I'm seeing today education becoming a, um, a partisan play, which it should, it should not be. Um, we're seeing K-12 become a partisan play, uh, which it should not be. Um, and we're seeing um, um, higher ed becoming, to a lesser extent, but we saw that become a partisan play. The freedom of thought and the freedom of expression, especially within our education system, and especially within higher education, uh, uh, should be untouchable. I mean, there, there's absolutely uh, not something that we should be touching or playing with or tinkering with uh, simply because it works to our advantage on both sides. I've seen this from both sides of the aisle, right? Um, uh, far left want to stop conservatives from coming to university grounds and speaking. Um, and the far right want to uh, limit what uh, what faculty can talk and write about. Um, this is so. So the the students that are demonstrating on a campus against a conservative, even if they disagree with that conservative one hundred percent, and saying they should cancel them and they shouldn't be allowed to speak on campus, are probably doing as much harm, if not more, to the far right. Um, conservatives that want to limit professors from from speaking or teaching any certain subject. Uh, that is dangerous. That is absolutely dangerous. Um, now, I've also been a, um, a proponent of online education for many years. 
and I I am proud of one of the several bills that I'm proud of uh, and the laws that I passed when I was in General Assembly, and one of which is the online voter registration in Virginia. We were one of the first in the country to, to, uh, that was my law, and I tweet about it all the time as, and I say it's uh, register online, Virginians can register online, it's uh, easy, it's quick, it's secure. I know I wrote that law. Um, so that gives access to everyone to register quickly. Uh, but online needs to become part and parcel of our education system as well. And I'm talking higher ed here. Um, buildings are wonderful. Grounds at UVA are absolutely gorgeous. And I love being in Charlottesville every time I'm down there to, to speak to students or participate at the center of politics at, at events. Um, however, Imagine how much more we can share that wonderfulness, that intellectual capabilities of UVA, if we have more and more online education that can stretch not only to all corners of the Commonwealth, but to everyone in the country, right? I want them to meet you, the students and the interns of the Center of Politics. I want them to be able to benefit from a class of yours, Dr. Ong. Um, I want them to be able to hear Larry Sabato and not just have to show up to UVA to, to, to hear him or to see him for 90 seconds on CNN. Uh, so online education, I believe, has not gotten the attention of the Commonwealth as it should. Um, and we need to focus more and more on that. Dr. Ramadan, thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything. You, We have one final question for you, and you've already started to address it. Um, you mentioned the challenges of extreme partisanship uh, at the state and local level and, and also at the national level. What else would you do to improve our political system and strengthen democracy? Um, first of all, thank you for having me. It's truly an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Um, and I look forward to be on grounds in a couple of weeks for the American Democracy Forum, November 30th. Um, so what we would do to improve political system? Um, common ground should be uh, or should be an undisputable on undisputable issues should exist in our society. Black is black, white is white, blue is blue. those are those are facts that should not be disputed. Right, um, so we should start with that, and some of of those facts and some of those basics that we should all defend at any cost um, are going to be the rule of law, um, the capability to vote, the transfer, the peaceful transfer of power. You know, January six is un-American. January six is unacceptable. January six should be an offensive and a problem for. Every American of every age, of every creed. Um, so those are some of the things that we should all agree on as Americans. And if we make sure that that basic understanding, that basic common ground among us is is unshakable, I think the political system will be better. And then the only thing will be left is to engage, engage with each other, engage in the process, engage as your students obviously do, um, um, engage continuously, not just around elections. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Bays. 
Learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to goodpolitics at virginia.edu. Until next time, 